0: Good morning, once again, on this Father's Day Sunday, which is also a, a graduate Sunday, and we um, have enjoyed celebrating um, with those families who have graduates and pro- people being promoted. Um, I also want to acknowledge that that music musical piece we just heard, that spiritual, that really fits into a weekend where we start to um, learn about a, a new federal holiday, Juneteenth. And the way that it calls to us uh, as well. So, there's a lot going on in the mix this morning. It's so good to be with you uh, in person. And for those who are online on Facebook Live or YouTube, uh, great to see you today as well. I want to start off with an important theological question, something that the sages and wise people through the ages have wrestled with, um, something we need to answer for ourselves as well. Uh, Who's your number one sports team? Who's, who's your sports, your number one sports loyalty across all sports and across all time in your life? Uh, if you're at home, you can type this on the Facebook chat. If you're here, turn to somebody next to you. What team, number one team, do you support? Who's your team that you support? Just tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. You can do it. All right, I'll give you your chance to shout it out. Who am I hearing here? 49ers? Giants, thank you. Warriors, I heard. A high school team? The Dodgers? Get this team out of here. No Dodgers No Dodgers talk in this pulpit. You see, on Father's Day, we to talk about sports in church. See how that goes? Um, well, as you know, I follow a lot of sports teams, as many of you do, apparently, according to the chatter I just heard. Um, but my number one team, my, my deepest and longest loyalty is to the San Francisco Giants. That's my team. Um, and this last week, I went to my very first Giants game ever since COVID started. Um, and honestly, I have. Uh... Oh yeah, there we are. Um, honestly, I've not been following the team very closely the last couple of years. You know, COVID happened, and this year has been sort of disrupted and all of that. I've been basically a kind of passive Giants fan. But then a couple of weeks ago, my dad invited me uh, to go up to um, to watch a game with him at Oracle Park, and so um, we took the train and we went up to the game, and we had a great time. And you know it's been really hot these days, so uh, we were sitting up there, really high up. We were on the third level, and um, we were in the shade under the overhang. Normally, if you're that far away, it's kind of like bad seats, but it was great seats because it was like 100 degrees outside. We were in the shade, and there was a cool wind blowing right across our backs. It was like an air conditioner, and we we wept for those down below. But we could see the field, beautiful, shining in the sun. We could see balls and strikes coming across the plate. And you may not know this, but the Giants are in first place in the National League West. Yes. You may not know this, but the Giants have the best record in all of Major League Baseball right now. Yes. And so that day I kind of moved from being a passive fan, you know, I hadn't really been paying attention, to being an active fan, to having experience, to saying, yes, I want to follow the team, I want to go to the game, I want to do all these things. And then I had such an amazing experience, I took the next step, my life was actually transformed, and I went ahead and got a tattoo of the Giants on my arm. I'll show it to you right there. Long sleeves today. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I did not do that. I got the hat. That's what I did. I don't know if a single baseball game is going to transform my life, but I wonder what would. I wonder what would transform our lives. Today, I'm thinking about a pattern that I want to share with you. Uh, It's about how we move in various aspects or parts of our lives from the passive to the active to the transformational, from passive to active to transformational. You know, passive, longtime Giants fan, not really following the team, active. I went to the game, I paid attention, transformational, I got the tattoo. Okay, that's the, that's the movement we're talking about today. I have a friend who is, works as a consultant, and his business is, help, is around helping Christian philanthropic organizations with generational leadership change. Let me say that again. His business uh, is working with Christian philanthropic organizations we are going through generational leadership changes. What happens is that there's a founding generation, you know, a a, a person or a couple who do really well in in their business life, uh, in their career, and um, because of their Christian faith and convictions, they set apart, set aside some of their finances and resources in a family foundation that they seek to use to give in charitable ways to the causes that they believe in. But then, how it goes is that is that the grandkids or the kids, the next generation, is in line to take up this work, to take on this project, to take over the family project, uh, family foundation, and everything that comes along with it. But big surprise, um, when that happens, there's conflict. Right? There's conflict among the family, between the generations, about how are we going to do this? What are we going to give to? What are our priorities? The younger generation in these family foundations have often been passive for a long time. You know, it wasn't their thing. They weren't in charge. It wasn't up to them. They were never asked. And so the work that has to be done is to move them to become active, to get involved, to see this as something that's important to them, and to get through the conflict that sometimes comes. So he helps them move from passive, I'm not really involved, it's not up to me, to the active, I'm doing my part, I'm doing my best, and then, and then often into the transformational where those newer generations, those younger generations say, this is actually part of my life. I want to give myself to this work. I want to make it better for the future. So in our Old Testament um, scripture passage today from Nehemiah chapter 5, we see this same pattern and it's on display. We hear how Nehemiah had served as governor of the area around Jerusalem for about 12 years. And he was very involved in this ongoing project of rebuilding the walls of the city, right? We've been talking a lot about rebuilding the walls and regathering as a community. That's what he was working on for 12 years as governor. And in this passage, he says something interesting. This is what he says. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took food and wine from them, besides forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. So he's talking about the leaders from the previous generation or um, administration the ones who came before him. They had laid a heavy burden of taxation on the people in order to pay for the restoration project, for rebuilding all these walls. That's expensive. Some people had essentially had to mortgage their farms or, um, or, or their land in order to pay those uh, taxes. Many people were hungry in this time. It was a time of great building but great sacrifice, and it, it came down to the poor who were hungry, who didn't have enough because of the financial practices of that ruling group. So Nehemiah, this is our guy here, he's reflecting back on on this and he's in a passive position, right? He's he's speaking in a passive way. This is what was happening to him at the time. It wasn't up to him, it wasn't his decision. He wasn't the one in charge in those previous administrations. We all find ourselves in a circumstance like that sometimes where we're kind of passive. Right, Because something isn't up to us. Maybe you are newer in your career and you're the low person on the pecking order. Maybe you are uh, in a new role or a new job and you've got to kind of prove yourself before you're able to affect policy or direction at work. I was talking to a small business owner this weekend who told me that during COVID times, a lot of things were just happening to him. You know, orders were coming down, things were happening to him and he, he couldn't affect it. It was just being done to him, passive. Maybe you, you've been passive sometimes in family matters, you know, with decision making um, that's, that you don't feel empowered to make because it's up to your parents. College students, I see you. It's up to your parents, not up to you. It's up to your grandparents. It's up to your spouse. They're the one who decides those things. It's up to your siblings in a family dynamic. I wonder if you've ever felt passive when it comes to some of the social issues that we face in our, in our country, big questions of the day. In Nehemiah's time, as we see in this passage, the big social questions were around economic policy. How are we going to build this wall and pay for it? And who's going to end up paying for it? And it ended up that the burden of that cost fell to the poor, so it affected them. In our time, there are also social issues, uh, big social justice questions, and we often feel like we're kind of passive, right? Or we're not involved, or maybe it doesn't affect us, or we're not sure what to do about it. I think this was the case over this past year around questions of racial justice as they came to the forefront in our country and in our community, and our church was kind of in a passive role. We were not used to talking about those issues. We were not used to talking about race or racism or justice issues. That's not our normal thing. We were kind of passive. And I'm reminding you of that because we were in that place together. But then what happens is that something occurs that moves us from the passive to the active. In in this case, the case of racial justice, we saw those protests that came around the death of George Floyd, one individual, and the way that that sorrow and anger spilled over into the streets and across the airwaves, and through some work of God, we were called to move from the passive to the active. We're activated in some new ways. For multi-generational family foundations, that moment of change can come when you pass over the baton of leadership. For a Giants fan, it can come from an invitation to a ball game. For a family, it can happen when a medical crisis strikes and decisions need to be made. We're talking about what it takes to move from the passive to the active. In the case of Nehemiah, this change occurs because he becomes governor. This is the change point. He becomes governor, and he takes on new authority. And sometimes that's the way it works. Before, he felt like it wasn't really his job. It wasn't his decision, so he was passive. But now, he's in a leadership role. And so he is in a position to make some important changes. In the text today, what are the changes he makes? Just you know, a little Bible study time with you. Nehemiah chapter 5. He says this, that in 12 years that he's been governor, neither he nor his brothers, those other leaders, have eaten the food allowance that they are given. The governor that, and, his fan, and his friends are given a food allowance. But he says, we didn't eat it. Instead, we shared it. They try to model some kind of different behavior. He says, I this is what he says, quote, I devoted myself to the work on this wall and acquired no land. I wasn't like gaining personally because of this. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. So I put my own like close friends to work, not just the, everyone out there. We shared our food from my table with everybody who needed it. He becomes active around the needs of his community because he had come into a position of influence. Right? He was in a position to help and he did it. So it can also happen that we move from the passive to the active, um, not because we're in a position of influence, but because of a tragedy or a loss or something that happens to us. That's another reason that we can move from kind of hands-off to getting involved. I read a story this week in the New York Times about a woman named Julianne Diller, and some of you will have seen this story. She was raised by parents who were both zoologists. I think I have a photo here. And when you're raised by two zoologists, they tend to do things like bring you on trips. You know, they bring you out to show you how to catch butterflies. You see a lot of nature. It's kind of a passive thing because you're a kid just being dragged along on your zoologist parents' trips. But that's the way it starts. And on Christmas Eve, 1971, um, this woman, Julianne Diller, and her mother boarded a plane in Lima, Peru for a trip deep into the Amazon rainforest. Her parents had a research station there, and they were going out to take a trip, a month-long trip to do research. But during the flight, they ran into some major inclement weather, including lightning strikes. And as the article details, at one point they were hit, and the plane broke apart mid-air. I'll ask Carlo to put the link, it's a New York Times link, right into the chat box of Facebook. You can, ch- you can take a look later. And we all know that when you get onto an airplane, you're a passenger, right? You're not in charge, you're not the pilot, You're a passenger. You can't affect anything about where you're going to go or how it's going to go. You're on board. And it turns out that even more so, this is true even more so in the plane crash, right? You are really a passenger. So Julianne Diller was strapped into her three seat, her little row, and her row, when the plane was hit by lightning, broke apart and separated from the rest of the plane. And she fell 10,000 feet out of the sky, almost two miles and she went down, down, down into the rainforest below. As she fell, her seat um, spun around like a helicopter, and she went in and out of consciousness. But the next thing she knew, she was lying on the jungle floor with minor injuries in the middle of the night. 10,000 feet, two miles, she fell out of the air. She was a passenger, she was passive. But now, she was in a situation, through this event, where she had to act. She didn't know it yet, but she was the lone survivor of that plane crash. Everyone else, including her mother, was killed. And when morning came, she realized that if she didn't get moving, she would die too. So with a broken collarbone, a sprained knee, and one eye that was swollen shut, she started to walk. She tried to figure out how to get out of this place. She found a little stream and followed it until it became a creek and followed it further until it was a river. She had only a bag of candy to eat. She was on her own for 11 days. She was walking through jungle with snakes and mosquitoes, stingrays and spiders, all kinds of things that would like to get a hold of her. But even in those circumstances, she had some feeling that the jungle had saved her life because it had broken her fall, and she appreciated it. And as she walked, she vowed that if somehow she should survive this ordeal, that she would do something with her life, that she would make a difference, especially around conservation of of some kind in this natural rainforest. And so after 11 days of walking alone, she found a village where they gave her food and water, and they took her downriver to to a town where she was airlifted out to safety. So this was a woman who was activated in her life, not because she was put in charge, not because she was empowered in some way, but because she came up against something terrible, something that she needed to make it through somehow. She was activated because she faced something that was really tough. You know, there's a woman in our church who's involved in an organization here locally that works to prevent domestic violence and to help victims find safety and start a new life. Now, how do you think that this woman got involved in an organization like that? We move from the passive to the active for different reasons and at different times in our life, different points in our lives. This is true in our work, in our relationships, in our community engagement, and here at church. This is also kind of a spiritual truth for us. I wonder if you remember the way that St. Peter is portrayed in the New Testament of the Bible. He starts out as a simple fisherman, right? Somebody who meets Jesus who says, come follow me, and he does. He moves pretty quickly from the passive to the active. He starts trying to figure out what does it mean to be a disciple. In fact, he's kind of over Peter is often shown as a little bit um, too um, anxious to do whatever he thinks is right. He often um, gets it wrong. He gets out over his skis. He, he misunderstands Jesus. And in the end, the end of the gospel story, we see the way that Peter denies Christ Three times just before the crucifixion. It is the low point of his life. So here he is, this eager, active disciple who doesn't get everything right. But Jesus has something more in store for him, even him. After that failure of denying him three times, Jesus goes to the cross. He's put in the tomb. He rises on Easter and he comes out of it. He rises from the dead, and he comes to find Peter. And he reinstates him, and he sends him out again. And this is a point in his life for Peter where he's actually being transformed by Christ. And he moves from this disciple to become the rock of the church, the one that the church will be built upon. We see him preaching and healing and speaking words of love in Jesus' name. And this is the third part of the pattern that we're talking about this morning. First is passive, next is active, third is transformational. The Apostle Peter's life is transformed. He goes beyond being a passive follower to an activated disciple, to becoming the full person he is meant to be, to becoming the person God wants him to be. You know, this woman in the plane crash in this story in the Amazon uh, is the same way. It's out of this tragic experience that she actually comes to life. And as she walks out of the Amazon that in, in those 11 days, she is transformed. Her life takes on new meaning. She goes on to earn a Ph.D. in biology. She becomes a zoologist. She spends the rest of her life working to conserve the rainforest with all of its creatures, all of its biodiversity, all of the beauty that she found there. She continues the legacy of her family, but in a much bigger way way. She's transformed. And this is the invitation to us today to consider this pattern from scripture for our lives. Not only to move from the passive to the active, but to ask God or to to seek what it will mean for us to be transformed too. Changed, grown, matured, challenged, moved into knowing what our lives are really meant to be about. In the Nehemiah story, we see this governor who's reflecting back on how he has changed, right? From the passive, I didn't, it wasn't my job, to the active, I became governor and instituted uh, different policies. But will he be transformed? Will he be content just to do his best at his day job or in his relationships or with his community or did God intend him for even greater things? Could his work, his influence, his position, his life be transformed to mean even more than that. I believe that God has a way for each of us, each of us in our lives, to become the full person that we're meant to be, our fullest, truest, and realest selves. Maybe you could become a transformational leader in your career, in your field. Maybe it means that your schoolwork and your studies will be transformed so that you are led to use your gifts, your education, your background to serve humanity in important ways. Maybe on this Father's Day, you want to see your relationships transformed, you know, with your dad, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. Maybe on this Juneteenth weekend, you want to see our country or our community transformed when it comes to how we think about racial or social justice. Maybe, like St. Peter, a person who's doing their best to follow God, to follow Jesus in this crazy life, and maybe you're like him where there's ups and downs, and there are things that you don't understand or ways that you get it wrong sometimes. I wonder if today our risen Lord Jesus would come to you, just like he did to Peter, to take you aside, to encourage you, to forgive you, to send you out again. And if Jesus was doing that with you or with me today, I wonder what transformed people like us would do in Christ's name out in the world. Let's find out together. Amen.